everyone, and welcome to the Expediters Podcast, where you can hear about front-of-mind topics in the logistics and freight forwarding industry through the lens of a global logistics provider. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and today is all about the global chip shortage and its impact on the automobility industry. We'll take a look at the shifts in consumer behavior, pressure on suppliers, manufacturers, and customers, and we'll also discuss how auto manufacturers have responded and the role logistics partners and freight forwarders play in all of this. And to walk us through uh, the whole entire topic today is the Regional Manager of Automotive and Mobility Vertical in North America, Jamie Lansdale. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be here. Now, Jamie, you are in Detroit, but... Pardon me for being so forward. You don't sound like you're from Detroit. No, I certainly don't have a Detroit accent, but yeah. yes, I'm originally from the UK. But uh-huh. uh, through a, a great career working in high tech technology, I've you know, been in various locations around the world and find myself at the throbbing heart of, uh, of the automotive industry based in Detroit. I've been here for about two years. So, yeah. yeah. How did you get involved in, in logistics and freight and ultimately into automotive? Absolutely. So, I, I started my career back in the UK in automotive as a grassroots engineer and work my way up through the ranks through design development, understanding the, the, the requirements of how factories are built, how commodities are built. Mm-hmm. And then throughout my career, I've you know been working in various subsegments, not only uh, automotive where I started, I moved and had a secondment into aviation, high tech, cutting edge parts of defense industry. And that's taken me to, you know, I've lived in Paris, I've lived in Dubai, I've lived in various places all over the world. So uh, quite a a wonderful yellow yellow brick road around uh, around (laughs) the world to bring me here to working in freight forwarding and working with expeditors and the great team we have here and be based in Detroit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so what would you say your responsibilities are as regional manager uh, in North America? So for us within the vertical team, what we do is we we have around you know, 55 to 60 OEM key customers. We have 550 or 600 or so tier one customers. And we're the glue that is the bond between industry and the requirements and the idiosyncrasies of what's needed within industry. Mm-hmm. And then how we can be that glue between that and the freight forwarding industry and how we can take and translate the requirements of our customers and put that into language that is understood within the freight forwarding community and and bring those two worlds together. So we're almost just absorbing all of the um, all of the volatility that's going on in the world, all of the craziness that is out there at the moment, and bringing that in and, and helping shepherd our customers through some uh, some difficult times, shall we say? It's almost like you're an ambassador in some ways, right? For <laughs> for automotive. <laughs> I, I'll take that. I think that's that's yeah. a great a, a great analogy. Yes, yeah. uh, an ambassador of automotive. Uh, <laughs> that definitely works. <laughs> well, and then uh, something that I love asking is, why do you care about the automotive industry? Why do you care about what you do? Like, what what makes your job special to you? And, and that's that's the key. Coming from and being on the customer side, living that world, living that pain within automotive, understanding the requirements, the quality aspects, the cost, the delivery, mm-hmm. and the the amount of pressure into launching a vehicle on time with the right dynamics and, and making that um, factory run as smoothly as possible. Mm-hmm. And really understanding that the cost of, as soon as you stop a assembly line for a, a vehicle manufacturer, it could be between 16 and $20,000 per minute of that uh, track being stopped. Wow. And once you understand that, and you bring that knowledge into the freight forwarding world and into yeah. what we're doing and, and how we're supporting that, taking that that knowledge at your heart 
and then using that as passion and fire and fuel to help make sure that you're we're dynamically planning that we're ahead of the curve not only from a customer services point of view but adding technology into that visibility mm -hmm. of freight really making sure that we are preparing our customers and ensuring those track line stops do not happen so it's uh it's great coming from one side of the business and then coming into almost you know uh, into our world and bringing those two worlds together and, and combining them yeah i couldn't help but notice too your hair is a little bit on fire um how has everything been for you lately like what's the last <laughs> couple of months been like <laughs> well i mean anyone who's been working in automotive throughout the last 18 months it, it, it has been a uh, turbulent time it has been a series of volatility events one after another shutdowns yeah. lockdowns reopening of plants, a transition that we've seen within facilities from just in time to just in case, how do we have more inventory? How do we manage more inventory? How do we manage the costs of that? Adding into that more and more events of, you know, I'm sure you've seen the Suez Canal blockage. I'm sure, yeah. you know, there, there's been news recently of more and more events within the shipping world of, uh, of uh, you know, congestion of delays of whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So it's really been difficult um, to, to, to keep abreast of everything that's going on and support our customers through this. So we're working you yeah. know, long days, long hours. We're there on the phone with customers, helping support all the things that are going on in the world. So it's just a very, it's a very challenging time, but also as well, it's, it's really, it's for us as ambassadors to the automotive world, mm -hmm. it's really a good way for us to, really ensure that we're you know putting our arms around our customers and leading them through these volatile times and and coming out the other side and i, and I don't think it's all doom and gloom i think a lot of the worst is now behind us mm -hmm. and we can really just start to focus on where are we for the end of 2021 what is what does the next year bring and, and some you know hopefully some slightly less volatile times in the near future yeah, absolutely. And I think a, a source of the, these volatile times has been today's topic, which is the chip shortage. So to kick it off right now, um, starting from the very beginning of all of this, what would you say is commonly seen as the cause of the chip shortage? What 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 are people attributing this to? Well, simply, my view is COVID-19. Uh, sure. It's as simple an answer as when we went into lockdown last year, we all effectively you know, immediately all had to work from home. Mm. We've all been using video conferencing tools like we're using today. A lot of people upgraded their, you know, their home TV systems, their yeah. mobile phones. There's a rollout of, of 5G technology at the moment of next generation chipsets that are going on. The entire world is consuming more and more chips and, and really COVID-19 has been a catalyst. It's helped to speed some of this up. So really the first thing to I'm not going to say to blame this on, but the first event <laughs> that really, you know, started to to add volatility within the semiconductor world was was COVID nineteen and and uh, the craziness of the last eighteen months, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. And I think of you know when I started trans when I went to to work from home, I ended up getting myself my new keyboard, a new mouse, a, right. a, a, an LED light, a whole new setup, and everything like that. And then like when you when you take those those little additions, those little purchases, and then like put that at scale that's yeah. a lot of new demand uh from from various various suppliers it's frightening to think about <laughs> you know just it, how, it how that really demand is, is I mean, soared. if you if you think about iot the internet of things of the amount of microchips that are being added into areas that would never have microchips before our refrigerators mm -hmm. now have microchips in you know sim simple speakers are now smart speakers that have microchips in and the same thing from an automotive perspective is you know, 20 years ago, there were maybe one or two uh, microchips or ECUs within a, within a car. 
These days, there, there are many, many more, the brake by wire, uh, electric steering systems, mm -hmm. air conditioning systems, the entertainment systems, all have more and more chips. And so the demand for chips has been getting, um, you know, from, certainly from an automotive perspective, has been uh, ramping up steadily year over year over year over year. And really COVID-19 just suddenly put an extra demand onto the system that simply the semiconductor world just couldn't deal with. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about procurement a little bit later, but yeah. you know, there have been some, some, some mentality shifts that have had to happen because of this and how this has affected um, automotive manufacturers moving forward. Let's talk about the effects then. So for automotive specifically, what, what situation have they found themselves in to date? Well, so it's been it's been a, such a profound knock-on effect. So we talk about not only these microchips going into cars, but they also go into the factories, into a lot of mm -hmm. the systems that are controlling the the flow of materials through factories. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a huge amount of, of of issues with that inbound supply, and as soon as that starts to dry up, a lot of the OEMs have 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 had a lot of issues of well, what cars do we make? Do we try to build cars where we have less microchips in, so therefore we can reduce the demand and the consumption of the microchips that we have left? Mm -hmm. Is that something? So we've seen a shift of, of cars of uh, build to order rather than build to stock. So you, know, you see a simplification almost of, uh, of car manufacture. And I think that's, that was helping to sort of, you know, to, to ease the strain on the system, but, but simply, the the supply chain has still continued to dry up from from a chip manufacturer point of view. So what we've seen now is cars actually being made, but without the chips being put into place. Yeah. So certainly around Detroit at the moment, there's a lot of uh, car parks around the big three OEMs filled with vehicles. They look finished. They look like they're ready to drive, but they have no semiconductors or chips installed into them. So they're just there as fully finished vehicles, but they can't be sold to the end customer without these chips in place. And uh, you know uh, the news is full of not only within Detroit, but within Kentucky, within Illinois, there's lots of the, the OEMs around the US at the moment, building and building and building. But unfortunately, with no semiconductors, we as the consumer can't drive the car away. And that's, mm -hmm. that's hurting a lot of the customers that are out there at the moment. Now, I'm, forgive me if I ask a potentially stupid question here, but like, why why keep producing cars if they don't if they can't have chips in them? Like, the, I mean, I understand like a, a production stoppage is going to be a very uh, damaging thing, or, or can can hurt a plant. But if they can't sell the cars or, or get them off the lots and stuff, why keep producing them? Well, if the thinking is this is only a reasonably short term. Uh, disruption. Mm -hmm. the, the supply chain within the semiconductors will catch up and the and there will be a flow of semiconductors coming back in later into the year. Mm -hmm. Then you can retrofit, go, go into those vehicles, install the microchips, install the right PCBs, install the right uh, LRUs, line replaceable units that will go in, plug in, vehicle goes through testing, gets driven away. Mm -hmm. So at some point, we're going to see these vehicles being driven off the lots and, and being sold as, as per usual. The problem for the OEMs, for the car manufacturers, is you're paying for the overheads of a factory. You're paying for the right. overheads of all the parts that you already have in place. You have the labor aligned. You have you actually have the demand. All of us at the moment, there's been a surge in car demand because we, a lot of us can't fly at the moment. So everyone mm -hmm. is 
replacing their current vehicle and 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 trying to to get a new car so there's a customer demand out there at the moment as well so they're trying to satisfy that demand in, in a way where it's hand to mouth where they can keep on building and then as this demand continues we can just slowly but surely start to get more and more vehicles out to out to the public i think if they were to stop not only would they have to bear the cost of all of that material of all of that overhead and labor because they would still have to keep their staff they'd still have to pay all of that money sure. But then when the chips start supplying again, then won't, it will take them longer to get the cars out and to the, to the customer. So we'll have to go through the build process and so on. So it's more of a, an alignment process, as it were. Interesting. So, okay, so, so the understanding though overall is that this is a short-term thing. Like we can afford to kind of hold these and store these for now, retrofit them later, and, and then kind of keep things going along afterward. Well, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, my, the view is when this happened, the the you know the car manufacturers are only a small percentage of chips that are made around the world sure and it's, and it's really you know around three percent of chips that are made globally go into into vehicles so really wow it's it's the automotive is only a small context of what we talked about earlier yeah, that yeah. the chips that go into our cell phones that go into 5g technology they go into our refrigerators into our tvs the volume is much higher for those types of commodities than it is for for a car as it were Mm-hmm. So a lot of you're seeing a lot of political pressure being put onto the chip manufacturers from, you know, the centers of gravity from Germany, from the US, from the UK to try to get chips into the car manufacturers to try to get more and more of these cars off the lines and out into the customer's hands. So it's it's really becoming a bit of a political battle to to get more and more chips into the automotive world. So it's, uh, you know, hopefully we're going to start to see more and more of these chips coming through or being prioritized for the automotive industry. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's really going to um, have an effect on how long this, uh, this semiconductor shortage goes on for. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, we within the industry think potentially it could go on to the end of the year, but who knows without political pressure, who knows as to you know, uh, what will happen around the world right right yeah there's really no telling (laughs) there's not i mean within the us it it was also a bit of a perfect storm as well i'm not sure if you remember you know that there was a snowmageddon down in texas um uh, earlier on in the year yeah and so within the us i think we're 12 percent of of global chip manufacture here in the us so we're consuming more chips than we're manufacturing here so in Mm -hmm. the same way is what we're seeing within this is governments like the us putting in more uh, infrastructure, more development costs into how can we make more chips here, have a reliance on actually producing chips within the US for the US automotive and, and technology market, mm-hmm. rather than bringing them in from from Taiwan or from uh, North Asia, as it were. Yeah, yeah. So, so lots of changes happening in the near future, I think, in, in the semiconductor world. Yeah. In the meantime, though, like aside from continuing production of vehicles and then storing them, uh, how else have auto manufacturers been able to respond to this shortage? Like what else are they doing as they find themselves in this weird position between the supply and the, the, the demand of their customers? It's amazing how different OEMs have different views of how they will view the chip shortage. Mm-hmm. Toyota is a good example. So back maybe 10 years ago now, there was a the Fukushima incident. So there yeah. was the tsunami that happened within Japan. Yeah. And Toyota went through a process where they evaluated their reliance on semiconductors at that time. They went through and reviewed what are the inherent risks? What can we do to mitigate those risks? And what can we do to make sure we've got more resilience in supply chain planning? Mm-hmm. And so what they've done is they were more prepared, shall we say, for this, this eventuality. So we're seeing the likes of Toyota 
slowing down production slightly, being a little bit more cautious in what they're doing. But really, they've been one of the only manufacturers who have continued to produce and continue to have less effects on this. Some other OEMs haven't quite been so lucky or other OEMs have more of a reliance on technology. I'm sure, mm-hmm. as you know, as the, the the mobility world changes, as there's more of a focus away from uh, internal combustion engines to battery electric vehicles, these battery electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles have even more uh, semiconductors within them. Absolutely. So in that same way, you know, they, they, they're getting disrupted more. So they're producing less vehicles and they probably mm-hmm. also have more demand. So we're seeing a real shift in balance across the industry, depending on where you are, depending on the type of vehicle you're manufacturing and depending on, um, on what the customers need as well. And it's also just a, a quick and interesting point is COVID-19 actually was a, a bit of a shift in us from a, from a customer's point of view. Mm-hmm. So throughout the years, I'm sure you know that we, that SUVs that became one of the most popular vehicles and there was a shift to SUVs. Sedans were second and pickup trucks were third. Mm-hmm. Well, actually our consumer behavior has also changed over COVID, after COVID. COVID has now put pickup trucks and, and those utilitarian vehicles into second place. No and kidding. sedan vehicles are now in third. Yeah. So actually we as consumers are also behaving slightly differently these days <laughs> into, into what we're buying and how we're buying. So from a volume point of view, making a utilitarian pickup that has less chips and actually is is helping um you know the OEMs focus on these these subsets yeah. and get more of those vehicles out to market so it, it's interesting how it's such a perfect storm at the moment of you know everyone fighting each other and and really just the OEMs trying to preempt what people want and how they can manage the the small amount of chips that they have with a massive amount of demand they have at the moment i can't tell you how f- like scene i feel right now because my wife and i have talked about selling one of our cars and like considering a pickup truck when that was like the last vehicle that we thought we considered getting but now all of a sudden you're telling me yeah the demand overall for for trucks has has gone up uh a whole other place which is that's incredible yeah yeah i I mean i my personal view on this is it's more a case as well of uh, of safety i think the bigger the vehicle is i'm sure you know when if you drive an suv that uh you know you feel a little bit more safe uh, around the big, you know, the big road haulage trucks that are around the world. <laughs> yeah. And if, if you've got a smaller sedan, people don't feel quite so safe. So Absolutely, I think yeah. truck, there's a lot more of this. And also in the same way, you then, you know, you want to go and pick up your new refrigerator with a microchip in it. You can you can throw it in the back of your your pickup truck rather than your sedan. So everyone's a winner here. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> now, one thing that you brought up is yeah, the, there's a good point with the EV market or you know the auto with uh, electric vehicles and such. They're an industry that's trying to grow and and there's a lot of interest in them, but they've essentially been stalled because of their reliance on chips. How what have they been able to do um, that you know of that uh, to kind of bounce back from this to kind of survive this? Because this sounds particularly trying for them. Absolutely. So between now 2030, there will be there's a huge surge within mobility. Mm-hmm. And this this is focusing on battery electric vehicles. We call it ACES technology. So autonomous vehicles, connected mm-hmm. vehicles, electrified or shared. And certain subsegments of this actually have been helped by COVID. So but you know, autonomous vehicles and driverless vehicles, there's, you know, this and taking the driver out of the loop. Yeah. There's been an even there's been a surge within this with us all, you know, not wanting contact with delivery drivers or sure. or the, the you know how we share or uh, socially distant as it were through these COVID times. Mm-hmm. So uh, the demand has been going through the roof for these types of commodities, but unfortunately, they 
in the same way of, of feeling the same pain uh, of, well, we want to manufacture, we want to get our product to market, but the chips aren't available, certainly for us as a lower pecking order from an automotive volume point of view, is it more difficult to get them out and and, and get these products to market? Mm-hmm. So we've seen a lot of these OEMs just continue a testing phase throughout 2021 and really just some of the production uh, ambitious production targets that were set up for early 2022 we're seeing those move to the right slightly because of this volatility and but i I, it is all of our hope that they soon they can soon get more of these chips and then get these products out to market and satisfy this demand because as soon as the chips become available as soon as the products go out there Mm -hmm. we as consumers are going to understand uh, the efficiency of of autonomous vehicles delivering our pizza or delivering our right. post or whatever it may be, which is going to make everyone's life a lot easier. It's, everyone's it's going to drive efficiencies within multiple industries, whether it's e-commerce, whether it is um, you know final mile delivery, whether it is um, just our own commute of how we're using our vehicles. We want to get this through, and um, because. Uh, between now and 2030, we're looking for at a $6.7 trillion industry from an automotive wow. perspective. It's a growth of 30%. Yeah. And, and it's we're at a time in, in history where the change from internal combustion to battery is really, this is going to be one of the most profound changes we all have or all see within our lifetime of how we can really move technology forward, how mm-hmm. we interact with our cars differently, how, you know, Perhaps we can be driving and, and you know, the car just takes over the driving and we use it as a mobile workspace. So we'll pull out our laptop or our tablet and yeah. get some work done as we get driven to work or to our next, uh, our next appointment. So this future isn't far away, but we need the chip manufacturers to get on board and, and really ramp up their production plans to try to satisfy this demand in the marketplace. It made me, <laughs> makes me think of uh, Johnny Cab from that uh Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Total Recall. I don't know if you saw that movie at all. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I hope they don't do the, the, the Total Recall and have the fake taxi driver uh, in the car. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, so we spent enough time talking about, you know, the OEM side, the auto manufacturer side of this. Let's focus now on uh, logistics and freight forwarding partners. What kind of pressure have we been seeing? Um, what's been needed of us to respond to this? Well... And that's, it's a great question because at the moment, clearly we know that air travel is 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 limited yeah. due to the COVID constraints. So the options from an air freight perspective are, are limited. From an air, from an ocean freight perspective, in the same in the same way, a lot of freight that is coming from the Taiwan market or North Asia market flowing into the USA primarily are coming in through two ports through mm-hmm. uh, through LA and Long Beach. And of which the congestion within that ocean freight market is is massive at the moment. So there are huge uh, supply chain constraints as to what options are available to us. What air freight options can we do? What can we do from an ocean from an ocean point of view? How do we find capacity? So mm-hmm. we've been, I think I mentioned earlier, at how we shepherd our customers, how we support our customers through these volatile times, and we've we've found solutions where we are hand carrying and we're doing you know a, a critical air shipments to find capacity to bring these components into north america and make sure that we're hand to mouth from production in taiwan yeah. into the oems within the us and i think this is going to continue um, certainly probably until the end of the year as, until we really see air freight continue to open up that will hopefully alleviate some of the pressure onto uh, ocean freight but in the same way it's all about communication and, mm-hmm. and visibility. Uh, our customers have more and more of a need for updates of 
where are we with where is this shipment that left Taiwan on, on this date? Where is our freight? And we've, we've been adding in uh, transponders, our cargo signal service offering that shows real-time visibility all the time of where the freight is, a ping on a map that's showing you exactly where that is and exactly mm-hmm. what the ETA will be. And that technology is really helping our customers understand the, the updates of you know, when do we need to make sure we've got people to upgrade these vehicles. These vehicles are, you know, are off the road. How do we make sure our labor's, labor is resourced to fit these into these latest batch of vehicles that need to be sold to our customers? So it's helping, you know, that visibility is really helping our customers with, uh, with understanding the risks with the ETAs. But yes, it's certainly a challenging time within the marketplace at the moment. And yeah. uh, you know, I thank goodness for some of our fantastic service offerings and technology that's allowing us uh, to to um, exceed our customers' expectations. Yeah, you brought up retrofitting vehicles earlier, and I think from a log- from a logistics perspective, like how would how does how do you go about doing that? I mean, do you have to move the cars back to? Would we have to move the cars back to the manufacturer to then get them retrofitted, or does someone make a site visit and then start retrofitting the cars that way? How what what, what does that process look like, and how complicated is that? Well, it's actually very complicated because what the car has actually missed its final inspection, it has to go through its final road testing. It has to go through a series of verification techniques before it then is, is sold on. Oh. And, and clearly, because a lot of these are off-site at the moment, the OEMs have to play that balance of which vehicles do we use, which were which were the first that were manufactured, which have been out in the parking lots for the longest period, and how do we batch these through? But from a freight forwarding point of view, we work with our customers for them to plan which way they're going to do it, how many chips are going to be arriving, and then mm-hmm. how that's going to transfer into a certain amount of vehicles that need to be uh, you know, retrofitted to, for then uh, final inspection, final road test, and then final delivery. So that obviously is, is one aspect of it, but really the complexity is, is, is coming into uh, the latter part of this year where we're going to see a surge of of all of these vehicles starting to get chips at a certain time. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a surge of finished vehicles that need to be moved via, via ocean, via air, via road transportation, and of which there's those three areas are at high capacity at the moment. So yeah. finding capacity to move those vehicles, to, you know, to surge those vehicles, to satisfy that customer demand, this is a challenge that we really see coming later into the year and really preparing our customers for this of, you know, we, we know there's going to be a deluge of, of finished vehicle logistics coming up in, you know, in the latter part of this year. Let's get prepared. How yeah. do we do this? How do we use that same visibility technology for the final mile delivery of finished vehicles and, mm-hmm. and use that same technology to, to make sure that the dealerships know this is where the vehicle is and, and it's on its way. So many challenges, you know, as, <laughs> as this starts to open up again. So it's going to be a, a very busy end to, uh, to this year. Yeah, good luck. Hopefully you have enough hair to continue feeding that fire. Nice. <laughs> right, right. um, what kind of uh, supply chain questions have been raised? I'm thinking of uh, procurement. I'm thinking of uh, storage. I'm thinking of uh, like the just in time to just in case. Like yeah. what's all changed there? What 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 are questions are being raised uh, and, and asked of us? I mean, again, a great question because one of the things that we're really just – as we build our relationships with our customers, as we come through the other side of this, mm-hmm. we always want to learn lessons. We always want to look at a system and build resilience into a supply chain. 
how do you make improvements? How do you make sure that you prevent or detect these things from happening again? How do you ensure that you're mitigating the, the risk? And so we're we're working heavily with our customers on this what if analysis of you know what went wrong, what did we do, and how do we improve it? And one of the things that we've seen is procurement behavior is is changing or needs to change within the automotive industry as technology and te- and uh, the vehicles become more technologically advanced that means that the more products that they're going to be procuring are more advanced and which means the supply chains are completely different for how you would manufacture let's say an engine versus how you would manufacture battery cells uh, control systems or uh, some of the more advanced sensor suites that go on mm-hmm. to these electric vehicles. So that procurement behavior sort of is, is quite new to a, to a historical industry where they've never had to buy these parts before. Yeah. They've never had to procure. And actually, this is really some of the root cause of what happened within COVID. When we shut down all the plants you know, you know, back in February um, last year, the plants closed. What then happened is they stopped all purchase orders into these high-tech advanced uh, industries, and oh, of which sure. they just continued. They continued to manufacture for other people. Yeah, yeah. Automotive was, is only that small percentage, so it didn't matter to them. But because the procurement behavior hadn't changed or there wasn't that understanding of, of what is required within these technological fields, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that behavioral change is something that we're really seeing within the automotive industry, that there's more of a Uh, there needs to be an understanding of how these supply chains work and how we need to behave and interact with these technologies differently moving forward. And I imagine with the con- with the continued demand of other for chips in other devices and other appliances and things for uh, for the automotive industry to kind of step out, the jump out of line to say okay we don't we're going to put a stop to this right now or we don't uh, we're going to do some production stoppage jumping back in that line is going to be pretty difficult I imagine right right I mean the global semiconductor industry I think is worth four hundred and forty billion dollars these days Whew. it's a huge industry it's absolutely yeah. enormous. And, and you think about the investment that's going into it. China is putting in $1 trillion worth of investment between now and 2025. Holy so God. really, this is going to grow exponentially over the, over many years. And the very small subsegment of that, which is automotive procurement, three you know, percent, it's, it, it's, it's tiny. And, and really, you know, as, as software continues to eat the world, it's the microchips that are the teeth. It's important mm-hmm. that that the growth of every industry as we start to migrate, as we start to add on more more technology, it's all leaning on this semiconductor industry. Mm-hmm. And that small subsegment that is automotive, the automotive industry need to understand that and be investing in it in the same way. And in fact, I think it's my view that the OEMs need to be bringing a lot more of this technology in-house. What can they do to invest in their own semiconductor facilities? What can they do to be investing in their own integrated systems? This is where they design the system and then they fabricate and, and the foundries are all in-house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're going to see a lot more OEMs going in this direction, like we have perhaps with battery technology as well. But Right, you're talking about more like that. vertical integration of like... Vertical integration, that's right, exactly. Right, right, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. All right, so as we come to a close on this discussion, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons that have been learned? What can people listening to this kind of take away and look at themselves with uh, or start up conversations with their own forwarding partners, logistics and, and things like that? Well, I think I think as we've, t- we've talked about is the the impacts of semiconductors aren't just limited to automotive supply chains. Mm-hmm. Any technology almost of every factory in the world of whatever commodity is being made 
a migration to more advanced technology is happening in every facet. So yeah. the impact of semiconductors is going to be wide reaching and have implications into almost every vertical and every area of business. Mm-hmm. Now we as experts, we, we, we have versions of me in every geography supporting our customers and helping best prepare them for what is going on in their organization? What is going on in their material planning? Have they, Do they understand the requirements of how to procure this type of commodity, the lead times associated to it, and and to make sure that we're bringing through some of these lessons that we've seen from other areas and make sure everyone is best prepared for for, for any of these supply chain impacts. So, you know, really for for us as, as expediters, you know, we want to share this knowledge. We want our customers to be best prepared. We want to help this war room planning of what if, what if, you know, this happens again. What if these components, you know, dry up again, or there's some other volatility event, how can tools like visibility or inbound supply chain planning, or just in times, just in case increasing your inventory levels of particular commodity types, just in case something happens on these critical components moving forward. Mm -hmm. So, there's a lot of uh, you know industry knowledge internally that we would love to be able to share with anyone listening to this podcast today. Yeah. And I think that's an excellent point, too, is that this isn't just a like while this is an automotive problem, the, the lessons learned from this can apply to any industry and to any any organization. There's lots to, to take from this for sure. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for your time. I uh, really appreciate uh, you hanging out with me and uh, talking me through this. If people want to get into contact with you or to learn more about this, um, how can they get in touch? Well, the first way, as, as always, is head over to our website mm-hmm. uh, to you know, a plethora of information of our different verticals of, of how we support and versions of me in different market subsections. And there's a contact us page within that, that can help you lead through to me. If not find me on LinkedIn, uh, you know, or reach out to your standard expediters contact, and we will, we'll love to support and have some interesting conversations just like we have today Mm -hmm. and, and help through any questions within semiconductors, the automotive industry, or any other area. We'd love to get engaged with you. Excellent, Jamie. Well, again, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, take care. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic, check out the show notes for more information. And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using so you won't miss the next episode. To learn more about Expediters, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expediters.com. Take care, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.